As some of you know, last year uh, I went with Power to Change and we, we filmed The Human Project. And one of the places that we filmed The Human Project was in South Korea. And over this last year, those videos have played in different areas and we've been talking about The Human Project in different venues. And one of the things that's come up from that is particularly the the video that we filmed in South Korea. And I want to talk to you about an aspect of it as we go into the scriptures, and I particularly want to apply this to our lives as we head into summer. And the the aspect of of being there in South Korea that that was interesting and God's been just teaching me through is that Korea, that peninsula, is an interesting illustration right now of two different ideas of what it means to flourish or to not flourish. Because it's interesting, as we were flying to South Korea, I was a little bit nervous because North Korea is such a mess, right? And it, it's still a mess, but it was even worse of a mess last year as they decided to, sh- you know, to send a couple bombs into the ocean just to test things out and then start threatening everybody, right, that they're going to send one their way. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be going to South Korea at this time. You know, it's just, just a little ways to just throw a bomb over into South Korea. And it was interesting, by the way, just flying over there, the, the plane had to take kind of a wide berth going around North Korea and went through China, because I guess they were figuring there's no way they're throwing a bomb into China, you know, and then we kind of snuck into South Korea. But as you look at, you know, South and North Korea, they really have become two different ways of seeing the world. On the one hand, you've got North Korea, which is this totalitarian regime, right? And this is a satellite image, so it's kind of, it's kind of diff- doesn't come up super great here, but you can see that China is up at the top where there's some lights. South Korea is the one that's most lit up, but that is North Korea there, completely dark. It, it is a land of oppression. Listen, North Korea isn't some place that people are like, man, I've got to go live in North Korea, right? You don't go there. North Korea is one of those places that you do everything you can. You risk your life to flee. And one of the things that, that I find so sad and depressing about North Korea, and I think one of the worst parts about, about it, besides being run by a, a crazy dictator is the fact that that they have implanted spies not only into communities, but into families. Can Can you understand? Like, that's just difficult to wrap your mind around. You literally can't trust anybody. You can't say what you're really thinking about the government. You can't tell anybody what you really think or if you're thinking about fleeing or anything like that. Because you don't know the person beside you could be a spy for the government. Your own family member could be working for the government and you just don't know it. And so you can imagine the sorts of relationship that takes place there is very surfacy at best. But on the flip side, you've got South Korea. And in many ways today in our culture, and I think if you, if you just give this some thought, I think you'll see that there's a lot of truth to this. South Korea in many ways is kind of the poster child for what flourishing, human flourishing really looks like, the good life. South Korea is one of the most technologically advanced cities in the world, countries in the world. They have high-speed internet across the nation. 
They have some of the best technology on the planet operating at the highest level. And so in many ways you would think, okay, I definitely get it, Andy. North Korea, total dive. I'm not going there. But South Korea, surely that is just a haven of human flourishing in that technologically rich country. But the reality is it's not. South Korea has got all kinds of issues, and a lot of those issues have come about through that technology. Such things as internet addiction is an epidemic in South Korea. It's one of the reasons why we went there. We were filming a story there to show how technology, which is meant to bring you together, can so easily pull you apart. And the individualism that exists in South Korea is unbelievable. I remember one scene in particular we were filming. We just hopped on a subway and, and Power to Change was filming the scene and, and we were really hoping that there would be some people on their devices. And it was, it was almost as though we had overstaged this thing because every single person on that train was on a device. It was disturbing. It was disturbing for me to go someplace where I'm walking through, say, a subway or a building, and you are never acknowledged. Somebody's, just, somebody's always glued to a device. They're, they're always glued to what they're doing. The individualism that's taken root there is it interested in relationship. And so the country, the young adults in that country that we were meeting and talking to, they've been referred to first as the generation that's given up on the big five, uh, having... Um, a dating, uh, getting married, having a child, buying a house, having a career. Just, they've given up on those things, and now they're just called the generation that's given up on everything. They are completely lost. They're lost. And the thing that really impacted me as we were there, and I was surprised by this, because as some of you know, I went there to film with Pastor Lee from the Dropbox. And so we're filming the work that he's doing with abandoned babies. In Korea, about between four and five children, babies are abandoned every week. And even the day that I was there, a baby had just been abandoned. And so we were kind of thinking through that whole shame culture thing that's going on there. And, but yet, here we are, we're taking a taxi ride heading over there, and this is when I got really impacted the taxi driver's talking to my buddy Steve Kim, who's originally from Korea, and he's translating. And he tells Steve, unprompted of what we're doing there, what we're filming and everything, he says to Steve, he says, you know what? We have lost our ingame, he says. And, and I have no idea what that is, so Steve has to translate it to me. And he said, well, Andy, it translates something like human beauty. And so that's in the film series, that's what we, what we called it, but... This last year, he, he and I were chatting, and he goes, you know, Andy, he goes, I know I said it was human beauty, but he goes, if you want a direct translation, he said what the people had lost was their human flavor. That's a direct translation. They'd lost their flavor. And I said, Steve, what do you mean, like, what did he mean by that? And he said, he, well, he was saying that they were losing that aspect of their humanity that is, is that human touch, that compassion, that selflessness. He said they, they were losing that. And, and one of the reasons why he said that is he said in that, in that technologically rich, that advanced you know, uh, culture that's constantly pushing forward, he said they have, they have, they've stopped seeing one another. The individualism that's taken root there has now turned to a degree that one another, they look at each other as competition. 
That's how they see each other. And it was interesting to be a part of that and to see that here you've got this dichotomy. You've got North Korea where relationships are breaking down, but you've got in South Korea where relationships are absolutely breaking apart. Now, if you've been uh, with us from the beginning uh, here at NYA, you know that we kicked off this year uh, with me speaking on the subject of community. Community is something that, that we talk a lot about here at NYA, and it's something that we work incredibly hard to foster. It is our desire here at NYA to help you to do two things. We want to help you to grow in your relationship or your community with God and in your relationship, your community with one another. And I realize that this is a difficult task and I know that going forward in our culture, and listen, I'm not trying to demonize technology, but technology and other things that we have in our culture have a way of individualizing us and not, they, they pull us apart, they don't often bring us together. And so one of the things that we preach on a lot, we teach on a lot, we work on hard, is about how do we come together, how do we value, how do we get committed to relationship, to my relationship with God, to my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those sitting around you. And one of the thoughts that I've, I've said before, and I'll say again, and you'll hear me preach over and over again, is that person sitting behind, beside you, they need you. But what you need to realize is that you need them. And I got to tell you, I, somebody was asking me this week, they were like, hey, Andy, do you like leading a community group? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes, I love leading a community group. I find that in community, there is a life that exists there that you will find nowhere else. And this is one of the reasons why I say so often how much I love being a part of NYA. There is a community, there's a richness here. Which, by the way, one of the things that we're uh, doing this year is, is my wife and I were going to Ireland, so I said to our leadership team, I said, anybody want to go to Ireland with us? And then I opened it up to my uh, community group as well. And there's, there's 10 of us that are going to travel to Ireland together. And the other night, we were at my house, and we were planning all the different places we were going, and we were starting to book our, we were booking houses. We've got these houses that, that allow for 10 people that we're, we're going to be hitting up. And I'm like, this is so good. This is, this is what life supposed to look like. And as we open up the Bible tonight, that's what I want to end tonight. Listen, we started this year in community. I want to end in the topic of community, but I want to approach it from a little bit bit different perspective. This whole year we have been looking at the life of Jesus and we've been looking at different aspects of Jesus's life. And so I think it's fitting that as we end off NYA that I want to look at a teaching that Jesus gives that is incredibly powerful and has been very meaningful to my life. And I pray that as we look at it tonight that it will impact you as well. In this passage in Matthew chapter five, and you can turn there uh, with me if you've got a Bible, Matthew begins to talk about this Jesus and about the ministry he's doing, and he does so by talking about how Jesus is going out and he's, he's gathering people. He's doing something that's absurd. He goes up to fishermen and he goes, hey, why don't you come follow me? And these fishermen are like, okay, dropping their nets. Like, he said to come follow him, right? Like, let, they, and they're, I've always found that interesting, right? And they're leaving everything and they're going and they're following Jesus. But then they begin to see something miraculous. These people with 
brokenness, with physical ailments are coming to Jesus and he's healing them. They've never seen anything like this. And and more people are starting to come and to gather and to follow. And as as they begin to follow Jesus, and there's this large crowd, we we read in Matthew 5 that Jesus sits down and he begins to teach them. See, Jesus had much more going on there than just wanting to heal their physical issues. He wants to work in their hearts. He wants to work in their lives. And he begins to teach them. And this this teaching that that he begins to to do is powerful. It's one of those passages that you just need to dwell on. As Jesus looks at this crowd, he looks at his disciples, right, his students, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And you hear that and you're like, what? It's, it's, it's like a list of things that you just wouldn't put together. You wouldn't think that Jesus would be like, yeah, blessed are you that are poor. Poor in spirit. Listen, you, you know what it's like to be blessed, but sorry, to be poor in spirit. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're blessed. You know, blessed are you that mourn. What? Blessed are you that are persecuted. He goes on here and he says, blessed are... Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen, this isn't the actual passage that we're going to be looking at. This is kind of like we're leading up to it. But this is an important um, passage to begin to appreciate. is because Jesus is saying then something profound. Now listen to this. He's saying that your life is more than your circumstances. Your life is more than your circumstances. Your life is more, it has a bigger perspective than just what's going on in your life at this moment. Now, there was a long time in my life that that wasn't true, by the way. There was a long time in my life that I was completely convinced, it started at age 12, that this world was absolutely meaningless. I, I didn't have God in my life, And all I had known, as many of you know from my story, just brokenness. And and a life of of brokenness and seeing a a broken, shattered family. And that's all I knew. And I was pretty convinced that life was absolutely meaningless. But there was this one guy in my life who I figured, if anybody knows if life has meaning or purpose, it's got to be him. And it was my weightlifting coach. His name was Mr. Stidham. And this guy was a gorilla of a human being. He could bench press 400 pounds, right? And so I'm thinking if there's anybody who knows if life's got meaning, it's got to be that guy. Now, I know you might be like, no way, you didn't think that. No, I did think that. And the reason I did is because I thought, you know, weightlifting is so repetitive. You're just lifting weights over and over again. And he's so driven in it. I'm thinking he's got to have life figured out if he's that driven and he's totally content to just push weight all day. So I went up to Mr. Sidham, and I'm like, Mr. Sidham, I go, listen, I'm pretty sure life doesn't have any meaning, but I just wanted to know what you thought. And he, you know what he said? This guy, this gorilla of a man, looks at me, and then he points over at the bench and says, Andy, go lift some weight. And I was seriously, I was like, he was the first person I'd ever shared that with, and I'd ever sought advice on life's meaning. It's interesting, there's this Greek myth called the myth of Sisyphus. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Where this, where this, uh, this guy's punishment 
is to roll a stone up a hill over and over again. And the meaninglessness of the action is his punishment. And in many ways, I felt like that was life. Life, life had just absolutely lost its meaning. But one of the things that I, one of the reasons I'm bringing that up, and one of the things that is, is important to appreciate about this is that affects the way you see the world. It's your perspective. See, I didn't have a lot of hope in life. I didn't try hard at high school. I didn't really try at anything. I could care less about anything because my perspective of this world was that it was all worthless, meaningless, and didn't make any sense at all. Until I met Jesus. When I had that call saying, hey, hey, why don't you come follow me? And going, okay, I'll check out this Jesus guy. Going, you know, what, what does he say about life? And, and does it answer some of those longings that are going on in my heart? And to see Jesus, his answer to life's meaning and to give life purpose and to see how that began to change me brought me to my knees. And I began to realize that maybe I had this whole life thing not quite right. It's Jesus' teaching, right? And he's saying, listen, blessed are you that are persecuted. He goes on to say this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He's telling this to his disciples, those that are following him, those that are learning from him. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When I gave my life to Jesus and I found meaning and purpose in him, it, it changed me. And that change was something that I took with me where I went. I, I, that, that idea of you are salt, you are light. And I wanna unpack that in a moment. But before I do, I just, I just wanna quickly unpack this persecution part. You see, the rea reality is, is that you and I are coming to the end of the NYA season. We are now heading off into summer and you are, are heading off into whatever job or career you've got going on. And I was talking with many of you before the service started and I know that many of you grabbed a job for the summer and you're gonna be working there, seeking to make some money and then you're gonna be heading back into school. There's others of you though that have graduated from college, and now you are heading into your career, and, and, and the world is, is before you. It's just a little freaky, right? And, and you've got this job. And, and, and here's, here's what I, I want you to hear. There are gonna be times, as you follow Jesus, that you're gonna be persecuted. And for me, it happened every time I left college and went to go get a summer job, I found persecution, or it found me. And it happened very easily and quickly. I remember one year, some of you have heard me tell this story before, one year I went home to Portland, that's where I'm from, Portland, Oregon, and I go back to Portland and I get a summer job, and I get a summer job as a roofer for the summer. And I am working with this roofing crew, and they are some of the burliest and uh, interesting, colorful <laughs> human beings I've ever worked with. 
And listen, it was only my second day on the job, right, is they're getting to know me, and they're like, hey, Andy. I'm like, yeah? And they're like, what job did you do before this? And I'm like, well, I was actually in college, right? And I'm like, here it comes. And they're like, oh, really, Mr. Smart Guy, you know, that's now roofing. And they're like, um, what, uh, what were you studying there in college? You know, were you studying roofing? And uh, <laughs> nothing against roofing, by the way. I love roofing. Uh, and I'm like, no, I was uh, studying at a Bible college to become a pastor. And it was just silence on the roof, <laughs> right? Just silence. And, uh, and this, there's this one guy in particular. His name was Nathan. He just looked at me and just a look of disdain, of disgust. And he made it his goal that summer to mock and to ridicule me every chance he got. He made it very clear that he hated Christians. And I felt that persecution. Another job that I had uh, the next year, uh, that was one of my more interesting summer jobs, was building greeting card stands at grocery stores. And I know, that's a job. Can you believe that? And there was this minivan that would, like, you would all drive to where this minivan was, and then you would all pile into this minivan, and then you would take off in this minivan to the grocery store, and you'd go build greeting card stands. And we get into this minivan, and I got three of my best bros with me that love Jesus. We're sitting in the van, and there's this one guy there. His name's Steve. Some of you have heard me tell this story, too. Steve starts talking. And, and all of a sudden, in the midst of a conversation that's going on, Steve's sitting right in front of me. He rip, whips his head back and he looks at me and he points right at me. He goes, he goes are, you, are you a Christian? And I'm like, uh, yes. And he goes, I could tell you were a Christian by the way that you were talking. And then again, spent the summer with this guy. He hated Christians and just feeling that persecution. It's interesting, listen, what Jesus is saying here, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When you come into a room, there is something different about you that attracts people. They're either their positive or negative attention. They notice that there's something different about you. Now, I want to I unpack this, this idea that you and I are salt of the earth. I've been dwelling on this all year long. I've been, I've been reading it, thinking about it, praying about this. And one of the things that I find interesting about this passage, and, and in some ways you could say that we're just pressing pause here for a moment, I just want to tell you something about understanding a passage that's confusing. Because if I'm totally honest with you, I find this passage at first confusing. When Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, because when you look at it in the Greek, it's, he's just using the word salt. There's nothing more going on there. And salt is used in different ways in ancient times. Uh, salt's used as a disinfectant. Some of you might find this one interesting. The Bible talks in Ezekiel that when a baby's born, they will scrub the baby, particularly where the umbilical cord is cut, they'll scrub the baby in salt. It's one of the ways that in ancient times they disinfected and made sure that the baby was gonna be okay and didn't get, didn't get an infection. Salt bath, right? And, and, and that's one way. Another way is, is that salt was used as a preservative. Another thing that salt was used for is though was seasoning, right? So I'm thinking to myself, well, which one is it? 
And I just wanna give you a little bit of a hermeneutic tool that you can use when you're reading the Bible. When you come to a passage like this where you're like, man, I'm not quite sure how Jesus is using the word salt, one of the things that you can do, and this is, a, this is a way that you understand an unclear passage, is you can seek out a passage where Jesus is more clear. And it just so happens in Mark chapter nine and in Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses the same idea. And in fact, I have the feeling as I just read those, um, that this was probably a common illustration that Jesus referred to frequently. Because you, you, you see that in Mark, you see that in Luke. And in both cases, in both Mark and Luke, when he talks about salt, he talks about it with the Greek word for seasoning. And so uh, here's one illustration in Luke chapter 14. Uh, you can see that, that he says uh, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, uh, how can it be made salty again? And the, the idea there, uh, and that's, there were two translations I had. Is that the only one there? Okay. Uh, the, the idea of uh, saltiness, this idea of if salt loses its seasoning, how is it gonna be made uh, uh, salty again? And so clearly, uh, the reason I'm sharing that with you is so I can look at those other ones to go, okay, this is gonna help me to understand this. Jesus is talking about seasoning, that, that salt is this seasoning. Now, seasoning is an interesting illustration that Jesus is doing here. When he says that you and I are salt, that, that, that communicates something pretty profound because salt is not a normal seasoning. Uh, and in fact, uh, a chef, somebody who's trained in, uh, in uh, culinary arts, will tell you that salt, in fact, isn't a seasoning. It's an enhancer. It's a flavor enhancer. And I was looking at this online. There's a lot of research that's been done on this, like what's going on with salt? And they, they show that, I know I'm that nerdy, <laughs> that salt has a way of inhibiting those, those uh, tastes that we don't like, but enhancing those flavors that we do. And so salt has this way of bringing out the flavor that something's supposed to have. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, I know that the first time I ever like, fully got that experience was when I came to Canada, and I uh, was going to college. I met my wife, Nancy. Her and I started dating, and she invited me over to her full-on Menno family okay, to have some steak. Okay, So some of you know what I'm talking about, like the full Menno steak deal. And her dad... <laughs> It's one of those like guys who imports his uh, wood coals, right, from Paraguay, right? And, <laughs> and he prepares, the, like this is like a ritual he goes through, right, as he's preparing. But then he salts his steaks and he, uh, and he cooks these. And I, listen, growing up, I, I grew up really poor. But when my mom ever had the money to buy a steak, which was like twice, she had no idea how to cook it. So she would just like slap it onto a grill or in a pan and fry that up. And I remember thinking, you know, steak really wasn't all that great. So when Nancy's like, oh, you got to come over because my dad's cooking steak, I'm like, okay, like steak, it's not, it's not that great. So you, so you know. And I will never forget being at her house and like cutting in and eating that first piece of steak because I, I, I remember I like closed my eyes, right? And I'm like, oh, this is what steak is supposed to taste like. It was like life-changing. <laughs> By the way, if I could just, honestly, if I could just give a plug for a soyus, 
Uh, when I came also from Portland, in Portland, our fruit is disgusting, okay? Just so you know. The, when I ate, a, I, like, I had had peaches and cherries in Oregon, but they're gross. But then I came here, and I remember again, Nancy's like, oh, have you ever had a peach? And I'm like, oh, I've had peaches, and I get a peach from a soyas. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, that's the way a peach is supposed to taste. It was another one of those moments where I, like, closed my eyes, and I was like, thank you, Lord, for peaches. And then <laughs> cherries was another one. And then here in Abbotsford, apples, like, mind blown. Like, that's what fruit's supposed to taste like. What we have down in the States is gross. <laughs> All right, you can clap. <laughs> So notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that you and I are the salt of the earth, that, that we are this seasoning. But listen, we're not like some new seasoning. It's not like Jesus has come on the scene and been like, listen, I've been up cooking up something special, like, and, and I've got this new seasoning that you and I are supposed to taste like. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he even goes on to say in verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And and ultimately what we see in Jesus is that you and I, through him, are able to taste like what a human being is supposed to be like. And the, the truth is, is that you and I live in a broken world where we've experienced a lot of the brokenness of life, a lot of the relational brokenness, and there's a lot of us that we just don't know what relationship tastes like. We don't know what the world's supposed to be like. And when you do get a taste of it, it will change you. Last NYA, okay? Last NYA, we're done. I'm I'm, I'm up here at the front to pray with people like we'll do again tonight. And a girl in the back runs down to me And she says, listen, Andy, I'm heading off to Ontario next week, and I just got to talk to you before I leave. She said, Andy, I came to this church praying that I could find community. And she says, and I came into NYA, and what I found here changed my life, period. She says, my community group was was a taste of something I didn't even know knew existed. And it changed her. And now here she is, she's heading back off to Ontario, and she's scared though. She's scared because she's like, man, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to find this when I go back, and I can appreciate that. I've heard that from a number of NYAers who have went back home, and they're, they're worried, like, am I going to find this? I want to encourage you. If there's one thing I could just say to you as, as your pastor, that my goal in ministering to you is that you would be salt and light wherever you go. There are gonna be times that you're gonna go and you're not gonna find that salt and that light. You need to be that salt and you need to be that light in a world that is desperate need of flavor, of taste, of light. It was interesting, I saw this uh, report of a guy who lost his sense of smell and taste. Apparently they go together, I didn't know that. And he was, they were interviewing him and asking him, what, what's like life? What is life like without, without being able to taste stuff? And th- this is what he said. He said, uh, go to the other one. This is the second one. Thank you. He said this. He said, it's so hard to explain, but losing your sense of smell leaves you feeling like a spectator in your own life. 
as if you're watching from behind a pane of glass. It makes you feel not fully immersed in the world around you and sucks away a lot of the color of life. It's isolating and lonely. When I read that, I thought, man, this is, I think this is so true of so many of us. Because I think you can just swap out the word uh, for smell there. You can go to the other one. Just swap that out for community. Right? It's so hard to explain, but losing your sense of community leaves you feeling like a spectator in your own life. As if you're watching behind a plane of glass, it makes you feel not fully immersed in the world around you and sucks away a lot of the color of life. It's isolating and lonely. I think if you're honest with yourself, that's exactly what life is like without community, without relationship with God, without relationship with one another. But the reality is, is that that will never change for you unless you make a commitment to your relationship with God and to your relationship with one another. It's a commitment that you need to make. Now, if I could just say uh, just something briefly on this, there's some of us that make a commitment but yet what's going on in our church is incredibly unhealthy in in some churches. I was speaking at a conference uh, recently and this lady came up to me and she was talking to me about my talk and she said, and she was saying some things, I just felt prompted by the Spirit to ask her this question and as I did, it it was like a needle to a water balloon. She just burst out in tears when I asked her this question. I said, do you like your church? Do you like your church? And she just burst out in tears. She said, no, I don't. And, I, and then I asked her, do your kids like your church? And I mean, at this point, just like tears are just flooding. And she says, no, my kids ask not to go to church each week. Like, if I could just speak some truth into you real quick here. Listen, there's gonna be times in your life that yes, you know, your church is gonna go through some rough times and you need to stick it out with them and you need to be there, but there is those moments where your church is just unhealthy, the leadership is unhealthy, and it is not good for you and you need to go get into a healthy community. You're gonna need to do that for you, you're gonna need to do that for your family. But when you find healthy community, listen, you need to invest into that community. I am so thankful that we have 25 young adults becoming members here at this church. I know, that's just happening. And I'm so proud of the number of young adults that we have getting baptized that are saying, yes, I am committed to Jesus and I do want people to know and I, and I am willing to, to, um, to commit to this church. You are the salt of the earth. Take that flavor with you wherever you go. Be committed to community and committed to seeing that community flourish with you. As When Jesus says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What he's talking about here is, is in a life that's, lo- when something's lost its purpose, what's it good for? Earlier this week, I dropped a glass in it and it got a crack in it. Like, what do you do with a a cup that's lost its purpose? It can't hold water anymore. You throw it away. What do you do with the light bulb once it burns out? It can't make light anymore in the darkness. It's it's worthless, right? You throw it away. It doesn't have its purpose. And, And there are some people that are trying to live in this world without their purpose as a human being, made to love God and to love people. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you fall into that mentality, it's going to feel like I did as a kid, that life is totally purposeless and this is all for nothing and just death is waiting for you. 
But you and I have a greater hope than that. Coming back to this persecution idea. We have a bigger perspective. We understand that life has a flavor that goes beyond us, that there's this transcendence, that I have a relationship with God and I have a relationship with people and it's just not for now, it's for eternity. Changes the way that I see things. It changes the way that I'm persecuted and I respond to people. That uh, summer, as I was uh, persecuted, both the first summer and the second summer, uh, it was amazing to see God at work through that as I remained a, the, the human flavor, loving God, loving people, as I remained light in the darkness. Nathan had this moment where he and I, through the whole summer, you know, he was, he was making fun of me and I was loving and caring on this guy. At, towards the end of the summer, one day his car broke down and he needed a ride home from work. He's riding in my car with me. I give him a ride home. And as we're driving along, Nathan looks over at me and he goes, Andy, do you want to know why I hate Christians? And I'm like, yeah, Nathan, sure do, right? Like, <laughs> that's a great conversation. Why, why do you hate Christians? And I thought, I thought for, sure, he, for sure, here we go, right? He's going to lay into me again. And he said, Andy, the reason is, is because my uncle was a Christian and he molested me as a kid. He goes, that's why I hate Christians. But then he said this. He said, but I see in you something different. He goes, you're the real deal. You're legit. And I only had a few more weeks of working with him from there, but man, did things change. And I had an opportunity to speak life into him, to, to be a light, to be that flavor, that it could be different, that life didn't need to be in that brokenness. The next summer was even more amazing to watch as God worked in Steve. Throughout that summer, as Steve interacted and experienced what a Christian is like that loves God and loves people, one of the things that I thought was interesting about Steve's story is that Steve not only came from a Christian family, his dad was a pastor. Over the summer, he shared that with me. And listen, if I could just say just something quickly to those of you that are Christians, there are some of you that are Christians, listen, I don't have that privilege, I didn't come from a good family, but some of you did, and if I could just encourage you, don't ever take that for granted. You have been given an incredible gift, an amazing blessing. And here this kid, this guy Steve was squandering it. He, he didn't care, and he decided that, no, there must be something else out there, and tries going and finding it, hitting up every party scene he could imagine until he just left him absolutely broken. And it was interesting that that, that summer, towards the end, Steve, I, could, I just couldn't believe it, this one day at work looks at me and he says, hey, Andy, can I come to church with you on Sunday? I'm like, are you serious? Come, comes to church with me begins to come to church with me, and I'll never forget the way that summer ended. It was like a Hallmark movie, man. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Luis Palau came to Portland that summer doing this big evangelistic campaign, and who do I see there? I see Steve. And Steve comes up to me, makes a beeline for me as soon as he saw me. I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. And I'm thinking, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is so great that Steve's gonna hear the gospel, right? At least he's been coming to church. But here Steve comes straight up to me and he says, Andy, listen, he goes, I gave my life to Christ. And he, and, he, and he just thanked me for being a light in his life. And then he said, and check this out, and he pointed behind him and he had his friend with him. And he's like, I brought my friend to hear about this gospel. 
that's been changing my life. Listen, as you go out this summer and you are salt and you are light in a tasteless, dark world, you will be different. And listen, if, if, if you're not different, you might need to take a moment to think about your life. If you don't taste different, if, 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 you don't, if people don't see different around you, if you don't make light in the darkness, something's going on. My prayer for you, though, is as we just close here, my prayer is very simple for you, but it's profound. My prayer is that you would go off from here and for the rest of your life that you would be absolutely committed to your relationship with God and your relationship with people because you understand that it's foundational to who you are as a human being. It is foundational to those around you and what they need, not just what you need, but what we need as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been created for community. We need one another, and it's my prayer that you and I would go on to be that church. Amen? Listen, we're gonna just transition here into uh, communion. And as we do, this is, this is just a very tangible way for us, yeah, thanks, uh, worship team, you can come up. This is just a very tangible way for you and I to express our commitment to relationship through this sacrament of Christ's body that was broken for us. As we come forward and we participate in communion, one of the things that we've done here at NYA is we have our leaders holding those elements for you because we want that to be symbolic that you and I are a community that we're committed to one another, that we don't take this meal just as an individual, but as a group, as a family of God, that you and I are committed together, that we, that we are the church, that this is what Jesus' body was broken for, that you and I might have a relationship with him, that we might be redeemed through him, that for those of us who have lost that human flavor, we have been restored through him. That he brings out those best qualities of us and that he diminishes those, those less desirable qualities of us. And in Christ, what, what does that flavor taste like, by the way? Those of us that are committed to this relationship, we begin to taste like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, Notice how the fruits of the Spirit are all relational terms. That's what this is all about. It's about a community. It's about a relationship. It's about the church. This is what Jesus died for. And as we come forward and we partake in that body and that blood, that's what we're partaking in is a commitment to community wherever we go. And it doesn't stop here. It goes on for eternity as we come face to face with our creator who loves us dearly. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says to the church there in Corinth, he says, uh, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And, I, and in many ways as a, as a pastor, somebody who's been leading with you, listen, this is what was passed on to me, this relationship, and is, and is what I'm passing on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, that he took bread, and he gave thanks and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So listen, if you have made a commitment to love God and to love people, if you made a commitment to Jesus and you're part of the church, of God's family, please come forward. If you haven't made that commitment yet, listen, I just pray that you would, you would get your life right with God and people today and you come forward. Become a part of this family. Be committed to community. Listen, there's some of you that your relationship with the Lord isn't right and you need to get it right and then come forward. There's some of you that your relationship with your brother and sister isn't right and you need to get that right before you come forward. And that as you do come forward, do so in community and and also just on a very practical note, the bread is gluten-free for those brothers and sisters in Christ, that that's important and that this is juice. Now listen, as we take in communion and the worship team leads us, if you need prayer tonight, I just want you to feel free to come forward and we have people here that would just love to pray with you. Let's start in prayer. Lord God, as we just end NYA by reflecting on the the flavor of life that we have in you, not that it's a new flavor, it's what you had intended from the very beginning. We have been created for relationship with, with you and with one another, but we have a way of breaking relationship, God. And we are so thankful that you broke your body for us that you might mend our broken relationship our relationship with you, our relationship with one another. And God, my prayer is that for myself and for each one of us here, God, that that in our lives as we're going forward in the day today, that we would be reminded that we are a people that are committed to community and that we take that flavor, we take that light with us wherever we go, that it's our desire to see your kingdom come, to see your uh, name lifted high, and to see all people drawn to you, that we might be one family in you, we pray, in your power and to your glory. Amen.